Good morning. We're so glad that you're here at Hope Church today, and I'm excited to open God's Word together with you. Do you guys familiar with this uh, this uh, statement? We can do it. Isn't that awesome? Now, uh, some of us have heard about this during World War II. This is often attributed to Rosie the Riveter, um, and this was actually an interesting thing. This was not originally a recruitment poster, but it was in Westinghouse Electric's internal building, and it was a design designed to do something that I want to do with you this morning. And it is to say to us that together we can accomplish something incredible. It was intended to spur others on to do something more that they couldn't accomplish individually. So there's a phrase, uh, someone said this the other day, and I thought it was so profound. We today have a me problem and the solution for the me problem is a we solution. You understand that statement? We recognize, if you've walked through a grocery aisle in the last several months, you've seen articles from Time and Newsweek. And if you turn on your, your computers and you see uh, newspapers, national headlines, they are all saying the same thing. And that is they are saying that relationally, this generation, not just our kids, but all of us, are relationally deprived, that we have isolated ourselves in such a way that we're missing out on the privilege and blessings of community. You know what I want to celebrate this morning is I believe that God has intentionally placed his church in a world that's anemic when it comes to relationships to show the world how to do it. And I think that God's asked us to be people who communicate clearly to the world around us what it means to connect with one another. As George talks about discipleship, uh, it's a term, remember, that Jesus said, go and make disciples. That the Great Commission was to make disciples. That Jesus called his disciples to enter into relationship together, to be able to move forward together. And I, and I would say to each and every one of us that we is so much better than me. I love uh, Jay Kessler, the former president of Taylor University. Several of you know Taylor. Uh, he said this about his life, thinking about his funeral someday. He says, one of my goals in life is to wind up with eight men who are willing to each to carry one of my handles. <laughs> you know what he's talking about, right? He's saying that I have at least eight people in my life that would be willing to stand with me in my final minutes as I enter the grave. This was a believer that loved the Lord. But, but there's a recognition for some of us that we might have many social media friends, but when it comes to the question of who's going to drive me to the hospital when I'm sick, that question is still hanging in front of some of us. I loved uh, Samuel Coleridge wrote a poem with the title Youth and Age. And he described friendship in that poem like a tree, like a giant tree that was a fruit bearing tree. And he described friendship as being like a tree that protects us from the elements, that has fruit in its season. We cross pollinate, that we get to sit in the shade of one another. And I think for some of us, we're just frankly exposed. I think we're exposed and vulnerable because we've allowed ourselves to become so isolated that we miss out on the privilege of we. 
I think we is expensive, right? It, it comes at a cost. Let's be honest, we is awkward as well. Like the, the, the fact of the matter is, even with our neighbors, when we interact with them, sometimes like, what do I talk about? How do I connect together to someone? Someone said to me this morning that, that I think we often, even when we text one another, we feel like we're communicating with one, we're talking to someone, and I guess that's okay to say, but just the art of just being in the room together is something that's essential for us. And as we talk about the Discovery Discipleship group program. Part of this is just, it's just a, a program. It's a curriculum. No curriculum's perfect. No curriculum ever stands up to the authority and truth of God's word. It's just people's examples and illustrations. And I love this about discovery is it each week it starts with a question like, um, do you agree with this? Or you, do you disagree with this? And sometimes those questions are provocative and it's intended to not have us just walk in and have someone dump information on us, but instead that we engage together. And I, I want you to just catch this morning that as we talk about discipleship and even a discipleship program, that, that we're just doing our best to do what God has commanded me to do, the leaders of Hope Church to do, in a passage of scripture that you can turn with me, Ephesians chapter four, if you have your Bibles. Ephesians chapter four, we're going to pick up today, beginning in verse 11. And in Ephesians chapter 4, what we're going to see is a description that God has for us of what his responsibility he's placed in someone like me or the authority and leaders of Hope Church um, that he's asked for us to do. And that is going to be a phrase that we're going to see in the text. And that is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And he's going to say that there's going to be a day on the horizon when you and I are going to face the waves of life. And the question that he's going to ask each of us to um, consider is, is, are we going to be like kids tossed in the wind or are we going to be strong and able to navigate the inevitable waves of our life? I'm going to suggest to you this morning that if you're stuck in the me, that you're going to be up a creek without a paddle, right? If you, if you are a person who is trying to go it alone, you're going to miss out on the privilege and joy of being able to experience life's adventures with one another. Uh, I'm going to tell a story. I've told this story before. I love it so much. I don't care if you've heard it before, okay? Uh, but uh, when, when I was in high school, I, I had the privilege of going whitewater rafting on the New River in West Virginia. How many of you have been down to West Virginia and to the New River? I just want to see. So a few of you, you know that this is one serious river. And um, I was while I was in high school, uh, there was kind of two rafts that were form. It was our youth group, and uh, we kind of had the high school seniors, mostly guys, and then there was like the freshman girls raft. And um, while the guide was explaining to us what we were about to experience, uh, we were just all so excited. We had our oars, we had our helmets, and our life jackets on. And as she was describing what was about to happen, I just heard, wah, 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 death, Wah, 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 row through the rapids, wah, wah. You know, we, we ignored her pretty much, all right? 
And so as she was explaining this, um, she knew exactly what was going to happen. I, I could just, I, now I play the tape back in my mind because we uh, got on the rapids and, and the first legitimate rapid that we were going to run into, some of you know the scale system that they have and it's based on rivers and the new river, the water was low, which made it a little bit more dangerous that day. But they said that day we're going to hit class five rapids. And this rapid that we were going to hit first, one of the first ones was a 2.5. Um, and it had the name Surprise. And um, my friends and I, there was a kayaker that was documenting all of this beside us. So I think we paid them to do this. But they have this video and these pictures of me. I'm one of eight, I think. And then the guide on the back that's rowing. And, and of course, we're like, you know, going into it. And then the picture is of all of us just like, like getting rid of our oars, just like completely stop rowing altogether. And we hit this rapid so hard that we did what they call a tombstone. Um, and, and by the way, we all thought we were going to die, right? So, so the, rapid, the raft went straight up and down. The picture is fantastic. Uh, and then all of us pretty much fell out of the boat, right? And so uh, there was blood, I can promise you that. I think if I had the option, I probably wouldn't have gotten back in the raft at all. It was that scary. Uh, the guide was the only person who stayed in the raft. And after she collected us all back together into our raft and began to teach us the instructions that we should have paid attention to originally, raft number two from our youth group was getting ready to go into surprise. And um, as we watch, we are convinced there's no way if we couldn't make it. Um, but, but that raft filled with those who were in there, they knew exactly what they were doing. They rode precisely, they rode together, and they hit that rapid and they just went right over. And they're all, their smiles were massive, you know? Um, I want to remind you, as we talk about Ephesians 4 this morning, that the Lord has asked me to do something as a pastor, and that might surprise some of you. It's not always to be the person who rose here, but he's actually asked me to be someone who equips you to row, actually. He's asked me to share with you the truth of God's word the best that I can. Um, he's out called me. We'll see this in the text. A description is pastor-teacher, which is a combination of a person who teaches but also knows you and cares about you. Um, and, and I think the Lord's placed our elder board here uniquely to be people who are guides, shepherd-teachers, pastor-teachers. That's a part of the role. But, but we're going to see the inevitable waves that are coming. Some people frankly, are um, not rowing through the experiences of life right now. They're not listening to the warnings. And ultimately, the end result is that they're being tossed around. And, and so this morning, when we talk about a we problem versus a, a me problem versus a we solution, I want to encourage you as we see these simple truths that God has an important job for each and every one of us to do. We're going to see it really clearly in the text. And this is the first point this morning. God has important, essential work for each and every one of us to do. Verse 11 says this, and he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers, shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. 
I think it's awesome that it takes a variety of God-given resources and sources to fuel our spiritual growth. This, this phrase, apostles, those are sent ones. I think in some ways this might represent better in our modern day those who are like missionaries, those who are sent by God to do particular miss, miss, missions that he's asked them to do specific things. Prophets, messengers from God with God's very special message. And when we claim the very authority of the word of God, it comes with very high expect, stand, expectations and standards of accuracy. Then there's, there's evangelists, those uniquely gifted individuals who articulate the gospel in a way that others understand and can often receive it. Um, but then there's this phrase, shepherd teacher. Uh, and what's interesting about the Greek construction here is if these previous conjunctions would have had commas, or statements would have had commas after them, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the way the Greek text pans out, shepherd and teacher are uniquely connected together. So it might be a hyphen between the two describing what I believe to be one role. Now, this is kind of a funny thing. There's lots of funny things about being a pastor. Do you guys believe that? Um, I, I always, uh, crack cracks me up that like people have to wait until I show up to pray so we can all eat. I think that's weird, right? That, isn't that weird? Um, like you can pray too. You got this, right? Um, but one of the things that's interesting about being a pastor. It happened multiple times this past week where some of you will, will spend time with me or will be in the same context and you'll be talking and you'll mention some other teacher that you love. And so we'll be talking together and you'll be like, yeah, and I was listening to Alistair and he was amazing. And then you'll like pause for a second because you'll think like, is that okay to say around Sean? Like, did I hurt his feelings, right? And you'll talk about teachers in your life, Dr. David Jeremiah or Francis Chan or these other teachers that have encouraged your life. And I want to first of all say, absolutely, I'm so glad that you're getting more than one meal a week in your spiritual growth. I myself am blessed by so many teachers that are outside of the walls of Hope Church. And I say, amen. But, but I also want to share with you something that's important. And that is, God hasn't asked Francis Chan to be the shepherd teacher or a shepherd teacher of Hope Church. That he has blessed him to be someone who speaks truth and love. And I encourage you to listen to the... And often when it comes to our sermons here, your responsibility is to be Berean, right? To eagerly search the scriptures to determine if what's being taught is being taught truthfully and accurately. But I also want to remind you of the fact that those amazing teachers that God's blessed us with, they don't have the same privilege that I do. And I consider it an incredible privilege to both know you and to teach you, uh, to, to love your families and to teach. So, so this combination of teacher and shepherd or pastor is a wonderful blessing. And this isn't just mine. This is, this is others on our staff team. This is other elders on our church. We consider that a massive privilege. So, so, so then you ask yourself the question, well, what is your job, Sean? Well, the text is pretty blunt about this, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And some of you are like, man, good. I'm glad I'm not a saint, right? Uh, uh, newsflash, um, especially in the Pauline epistles, he often says, those of us who've received Christ 
are considered clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Praise the Lord for that. And he calls you and I saints. So you're not off the hook, okay? So when he says, equip the saints, that's y'all. <laughs> um, that's those who've placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so like an outfitter or a guide or a friend on the journey, uh, maybe a teacher at times, it's our privilege to outfit you for the responsibilities and challenges of life. And so discovery is um, not the only way to do this. It's a discipleship curriculum, but way more important than the curriculum is the connection together with other believers in community. And I'll just share with you, I've just uh, started to connect with a group of men around here at Hope, and there's just something fantastic about being together with one another, learning from other people at different life stages, life experience, and, and often I feel like I get to benefit from the Holy Spirit's work and your story and your relationships and your um, historical experiences in such a way that I find myself learning more about my Lord. That's a part of the beauty of group and community together. Can I, can I just remind you, though, that, um, that, that you have to be intentional about this these days? There, there may have been more social time periods in the history of America, but we're just not in one of those. Can we agree to that? That, that relationships have to be intentional these days. That we have to chisel time out for them. We have to make space for them. And, and in this time in our history, um, I think that this is basically one of those statements. We, we would say discovery might be like an underhand pitch or... Um, to you to knock it out of the park, or it's just a statement. I say this all the time, but if I get a vote, um, this would be the way that I would encourage you to connect together with other believers here at Hope Church, and we hope that it builds momentum. So it takes a variety of God-given sources to fuel our spiritual growth, and I think it's really important for us to recognize that, um, that this is just one of those ways that we can grow spiritually. I think it's important for us to remember that all Christians have spiritual gifts that should be used in ministering to one another. And so this, this moves us into maybe a little different perspective. And this is, if you are not using your gifts, then you could potentially be stealing away from what God wants to do in the life of someone else. So uh, th this was classic in the Brennan household growing up. So my dad loved racquetball. And I am, I've shared with you guys that I am um, one of four boys. My youngest brother's much younger. So my mom and dad um, used to love to pay, play racquetball together. And then my, as my older brothers got older, they used to love to play racquetball, um, all four of them at the same time. But then there was Sean. And so what they used to do, this is so mean. In fact, they should feel guilty about this. Um, they used to take a clothes hamper. Now, some of you are trying to picture how Sean could fit into a clothes hamper, but I was a little guy at one time. And so they used to, in the corner of the racquetball court uh, that they would play at, they would put me underneath a clothes hamper 
Um, and um, now this was before the internet and video games and like all this stuff. So they put me underneath a clothes hamper. And if they were nice, they might put a jacket or two on the top so that when the racquetball thing hit, are you guys visually imagining this? And then they would proceed to just go play for a couple of hours, racquetball, all right? Uh, and so if I got bored or whatever, hey guys, I need to use the restroom or whatever, you know, like awkwardly, they, that we'd have to pause and it'd be awkward. But I, I was so annoyed, right? because I am stuck in the corner watching from a distance other people experiencing the fun that they wanted to have. I think for some of us, you're self-choosing to do that, that you're self-choosing to be missing out on the fun that's being had around you. And so when we talk about using your gifts, participating, I think all of us have spiritual gifts that should be used um, I think we get to see this modeled in the Trinity with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they, they are equal in value but serve different roles within the triune Godhead. And I, I just look at this and I just recognize that this is what God asks of us. And I think it's helpful for me to say in my own spiritual life, my spiritual growth has been accelerated when I've done so, when I've invested in it in community. Uh, this is sunshine and water to the place. This is miracle grow when it's appropriately applied in our spiritual life. It's allowing us to see God's truth poured through other people's experience. This cross-pollination that happens allows us to see God at work. I think it's also appropriate for us to recognize that when there's others who are going through that journey together with you, when the unique challenges of life come, that you have people around you who have your back. This is God's design. It's on-the-job training. When he taught the disciples how to be followers of his, he spent years together with them, investing in a smaller group of people. Jesus didn't focus in on the masses of people. He was kind to the masses. He fed the masses at times. But what we recognize is the fruit of the book of Acts as it describes the growth of the early church. It was the fruit of those disciples who were invested into and who had um, been poured into by the life of Christ and who Christ gave them opportunities to go use their gifts, opportunities to fail, opportunities to um, what I'm going to call on-the-job training. And I think at the end of the day, the end result was particularly effective. Did you guys hear back in June that a woman um, decided that the right thing to do was to steal an airplane at the Wadsworth Airport? Did you guys hear about this? Uh, it was in the news. You can look it up afterwards. Um, uh, so she, she, she took someone else's credentials, um, rented an airplane. The only problem was she didn't know how to fly an airplane, um, nor did she have the appropriate insurance. The end result was that she barely made it off the, the tarmac and then crashed and it was only about $30,000 worth of damage that was done to the plane, right? So, so she probably looked at those planes that take off all of the time, I'm guessing, and she probably asked herself the question, well, how hard could that really be? Right? Maybe she had a flight simulator at home, uh, you know, that uh, every time she took off on her flight simulator, it always worked, Right? But, but I hope she's not here right now. I think she survived. That would be awkward, right? But, but I want you to think about the arrogance 
of assuming that you know how to do something that you've never been trained to do, that you've never had the privilege of being taught. And, and what I love, um, as, as we've learned, um, as one of our daughters is going through the pilot training process, they don't just give you a book and say, here's how you learn how to become a pilot, although they do do that. Um, but they also, uh, layer after layer, go through a systemic process of going up together in a plane to teach the, the process of learning how to fly. It's hands-on training, right? It's, it's personal, experiential. And so when we talk about discipleship being done in community, some of it is, man, I tried to share the gospel with my friend at work and it totally failed. What, what do you think about that? Did I do something wrong or did I, was I obnoxious? What do you guys think? There's, there's something about having a group of people around you that can help you, that maybe have been through it before, or who can also encourage you to pray for you before you go into that situation. So I look at all of that and I say, you know, frankly, it's, it's foolish to assume that we know it all in such a way that we can dive right in, but instead, um, part of what, what is important, I love what George said in his announcement, is I think for some of us, we could say, ah, oh, I've been through that before, or I've read through the Bible cover to cover, or I've experienced this stuff, I have a degree in something, and at the end of the day, what I love about God's Word is that it's vibrant and active, that it, I can guarantee you none of you have gone through a discipleship program in the fall of 2022 in the weird world that we live in, in the history of the universe, that uh, as of right now, we get to experience that privilege today of humbling ourselves and saying, I have more to learn. I think it's important, the second point this morning is you and I need ongoing training for the ministry that God's called us to do. We need ongoing, on-the-job training for the ministry that God has called us. God's called all of us. You were not the exception to the rule when God gave out gifting. Uh, he did not overlook you. His desire is not to keep you under the basket in the corner. Amen? Uh, you guys love that image. That image just cracks me up. I, still, I think I need to get an apology from my parents for that. But... Um, Look at what it says in verse 12. It says that this is my job. I'll repeat it because I read it uh, in that last section. But the job of, um, of those who are in leadership is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. We're coming underneath the shared mission of discipleship, and it's all under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why or how? This is, this is how we'll know if we um, have accomplished the task, if we don't need to worry about this anymore. And, and I'll just pre-warn you, we have more work to do. It says this in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're not there yet. We have work to do. So that you and I may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. In other words, it's saying that our culture has doctrines. It has beliefs and values and systems. 
And doctrine, when it's handled correctly, shouldn't divide us, but it should allow us to understand it's actually literally the oar in our hands to help us to move through the unique challenges of our life. But I want us to catch this, this recognition that these waves that are around us, that you, you know, I read this again in preparation for this morning, and I thought about um, kids as he describes children in the waves. And I just want us to remember, like when I picture kids in the waves, I just picture kids having a blast, right? They're just playing and building sandcastles and enjoying the sea and its delightfulness. And in some sense, I think when he adds children to this, he's not talking about this traumatic waves carrying you away to your death or whitewater rafting. He's just talking about playing when you and I have work to do, where there's responsibilities, there's a recognition that there's a culture that's around us that um, doesn't always understand the values that we hold. Um, there was a, a group of friends of, of mine that went on an international or a, a missions trip, and they were at a place that uh, they decided. Uh, I, I wonder if it was after I'd shared my stories of whitewater rafting that they wanted to go whitewater rafting and. Um, but this particular place that they had had no regulations, okay? So, uh, so they did not give them life jackets. They did not give them helmets. They did not have a guide. Um, and they found out very, very quickly that uh, they were on some serious rapids. Um, and they didn't even have a map, like, to know. Literally, they got so scared after they hit the rapids. I joke about it. Um, but they, they literally got out of the water and hiked back to a place because they were just so scared, right? They were just, uh, it was frightening and overwhelming. They didn't have a guide with them. I, I believe that for some of us today, um, the, the challenges of life and the world that's around us is overwhelming and frightening. And I'll just gently remind you that it's my job description to outfit you for what you need to serve and to thrive in the midst of. This is the elder's responsibility here at Hope Church. This is God's given responsibility to us. So um, as I see this, I see doctrine done well doesn't divide, it unifies. Um, I also think it's appropriate to clarify that um, my job description isn't necessarily always to be liked by the church family or um, to, to see me as always the chief rower, uh, but instead it's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I think we are all called to both follow and to lead in this, that we have the privilege of helping to equip others. And that's why I think that, that it's appropriate for us to think about smaller group settings where we connect together with one another is that uh, you see this in the text. The apostles need evangelists, teachers need shepherds, the, the, the Trinity, again, is that model for us of different roles equal in value. So we know that there's going to be opposition. We know that uh, we are better at overcoming opposition when we do it together. The third point this morning is we get to work together. Verse 15 describes it like this. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, which I have said many times from this pulpit, that's one of the most important and neglected combinations in our society today. Truth and love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. And I, I love this last phrase, in love, that this is a joyful process. This truth and love leads to authentic community and growth. And, and I want to speak to this just a minute. I've been a part of a lot of small groups in my life. Um, and, and, and I have absolutely, some of you could relate to this. I have definitely been a part of the blind leading the blind kind of groups. Do you guys know what I'm talking about there? Um, where it's just like whoever thinks about whatever idea they have, they can just share their impressions. And then we all stand back and go, wow, that's profound. Uh, even if it's dead wrong, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, this is not the spirit of discovery, is that um, it's the blind leading the blind, but nor is it a, um, a professor who stands up and drops wisdom bombs on the people who are below them, and they just stand back in awe of how smart the teacher is. I've been in that setting as well. That I've actually been in churches as well, where the thing that people say so often is, wow, that pastor, he's so smart. He knows so much stuff. And it broke my heart because I realized that the heart of the pastor was actually just for people to understand the God that was at the epicenter of all that stuff, right? And so, so it's really important for us to recognize that this isn't about, about wise, deep, profound information that's being, but instead the idea is to come together and to, I love the title, discovery, that is to discover uh, what it is that God's teaching us for this time in our history. The, the privilege for us to discover our own understanding of God's truth. It's not discover our own truth. It's to discover our own understanding of God's truth. God's word is always going to be the foundation of things that we do here at Hope. Uh, it is too important for us. We understand that our experience is rubbing up against the truth of God's word. God's word always wins. Amen? Uh, it's just how it works. But I think that it's important for us to understand uh, that that is a part of the, the heart philosophy of this ministry. I think it's also important for us to accept, and we see this again in the text here when it talks about growing up together to build each other up in love, that, that I just think we all need um, burden-bearing fellowship. I use that term a lot uh, and and burden-bearing fellowship means that we know each other, we know each other's life experiences, and I'll just remind you, Jesus had a limited group of people that he had that burden-bearing fellowship with, and that's helpful for me, uh, because I want to have that with with the hundreds of people who have fellowship at Hope Church, and I get to in a unique and different way maybe than some of you do. Uh, but, but Jesus modeled for us that you guys remember, it was probably 12 and there was three that he focused most of his time on and then there was one. And so his capacity as, um, as the authoritative recognition of the incarnate um, God of the universe was to, in time and place, be limited to a handful of people or two handfuls of people, if you will. But, but what we recognize is we also have limited capacity to be in burden-bearing fellowship, to know and to be known. And so um, the encouragement isn't to get rid of other important fellowships or to break up friendships that are up, but, but it's to be intentional about pursuing an investment, investing in uh, the gathering of people 
uh, that you connect with and have more intentional fellowship. Let me just speak very bluntly. Uh, Ali said this wisely last week, and I think that this is important. We don't assume that if you sign up for this group that you're going to connect with everybody. They're all going to be your favorites. Uh, uh, I also will say this very bluntly as well, and I'm embarrassed by this, but um, I have had multiple times uh, since I've been married to Ali that uh, she has been the one that's encouraged us to participate in a smaller group setting. And uh, for the first year, I'm grumpy on the way there. Um, the, on the first year, I might, I might imply that it's not worth my time, uh, which sounds really arrogant, doesn't it? Um, but but it, it's usually at about the year mark. And again, these commitments aren't for a year, but I just want to remind you, it's usually investing intentionally for a while that at some moment, I just realized that this thing is more valuable than just about anything else I'm doing with my time. But it takes time to do that. I think we can, some of you can relate to that. And so um, I think that uh, we all need burden-bearing fellowship. I love that image of the yes, we can, right? Because I think that that's a part of what God wants us to do, is to do something together. Um, I think when some of us are missing, uh, our mission becomes more difficult. When we went through the relationship series, we talked about not being the puzzle piece uh, that's missing and the thing that God wants to do. I love, somebody shared with me this story last week. I thought this was great. I hope I have permission to share this, but I'm going to share it anyways. Uh, but they, they came up and they said that they had, as a family, bought like a thousand piece puzzle. It was awesome. And um, it was brand new. You guys, those of you who are here during the relationship, series, I said that maybe I bought a puzzle at the garage sale, uh, which is maybe like poor life choices, right? Uh, you know, so, so this was like in the cellophane, I mean, it was wrapped and brand new and they opened the, or actually they're not even wrapped, right? They're like, you got to cut the box, right? To get to the puzzle and they, they'd gotten the thousand piece thing, get to the last piece, and the, the piece is not there, you know? Uh, and so you search the house, you can't find it. So then you like, you're so frustrated, you finally call up the manufacturer, right? And you're like, all right, so we, we, we are missing this. And they're like, oh, sure you are. Uh-huh. And then as you call them, can you imagine like, okay, so the piece that we're mis missing is 42 over from the left, 69 from the, I mean, you know, 7,000 from the, you know, like you're describing it. Oh yeah, sure. We're going to find that piece and we're going to send it out to you, right? Like the, the frustration of being able to experience the fullness of what it was supposed to be. It's like, they're so frustrated with it. They just put it on the shelf. Maybe we'll find the stupid thing, right? You know, the missing piece is an image for us of what I think um, is happening for some of us. And that is, um, God's doing some cool things around here. He's got some things, I think, on the horizon that he wants us to be a part of. And he's challenging us to not be um, this missing piece. And the wording on the text this morning, it's each part working, right? That's the way it was described. That makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. I think that that's what we want, is we want to be a part of burden-bearing fellowship, community, intentional discipleship. And so I'll ask humbly this question I think is helpful, and it's um, what are you waiting for? <laughs> what is it that is holding you back? Would you prayerfully join me in praying for wisdom and, and what? And for some of us, we, we hope that these seven groups or whatever we announce today aren't enough. Uh, we hope that those aren't sufficient to handle the capacity of our church family, that we need more leaders and 
that God does a work within us. So I'm just gonna ask you, what is it um, that you're missing in your life um, that would help you grow in your relationship with God? For some of you, you're trying to go it alone and you're discouraged and frustrated by trying to go it alone. And I'll just gently remind you that that's not God's design. We, we weren't designed to grow in isolation, but we were designed to grow in community. Um, I love this statement. The discipleship has been described as um, a call to me, but a journey of we. So it's a call to me individually, but a journey that God wants to do with us together. And I, I want to ask you to consider what God's calling you to when it comes to journey, journeying together with a group of people. And then the final question is, are you ready to take the next step towards discipleship in your life? Um, and the follow-up question to that is, what would keep you from pursuing that in your life? Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, and I thank you and praise you for your awareness of the waves of our life that are complicated, challenging, unique, uh, sometimes incredibly discouraging, um, that have caused us great pain and harm in our life. But I thank you for also um, the joy in my life of being able to be with a group of people that are rowing together well and that those unique challenges in our life uh, don't have to be frightening, but instead they can actually be filled with great joy and excitement as we see you at work. We get to, to, to go over the incredibly difficult circumstances of our life because we get to go through it together. So I just thank you and praise you for that. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our life, that you would challenge us to be people who uh, respond. We don't want to just be hearers of your word, but we want to be doers. And so God, would you Grant us um, your favor in this process. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.